Gosh, I get to lead students and occasionally I get to preach and it seems like more often than not what Luke gives me to preach is something involving judgment, <laughs> hell, eternal condemnation, you know, just the light and fluffy stuff. So I got this. Um, so the topic is heavy, the teaching is easy because if you jump ahead, verse 36, they left the house, went into uh, it's probably Peter's house. The disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And Jesus answered them, and we'll get to that. But Jesus basically, basically explains this whole parable. So my job of like telling you what this means is not difficult. Jesus does the work for me. My job is to tell you what this means to us. So to understand that, we got to understand what parables are in the Bible for. So Jesus is doing ministry. Uh, Matthew covers Jesus' life, mainly his you know, three adult years when he's really doing intense ministry, loving people, preaching the gospel, feeding people with two fish and feeding 15,000, all those crazy things that Jesus did. And then Matthew 13, there's this kind of twist, and he starts to speak in parables a lot. What's a parable? Parable is a picture of the kingdom. What does that mean? Jesus, why does he start to speak in such cryptic ways? He start, he's very clear, and then the parables come along, and he starts to speak in such a way that not everyone understands what he's saying, and he says that's the point. My parables are so that you understand, but these people won't understand. It's like me and my wife who love to eat, love to eat sweets. So does my kid, so we always have to be secret about it. Like, Aubrey, we need some... C-O-O-K-I-E-S. Would you make those, please? We're speaking in such a way that we're on the same page, and sweet little Elijah has no idea that we're going to be eating chocolate chip cookies as soon as he's in bed. <laughs> this is a parable. Oh, poor Elijah. What a life. So it's a secret message to people who can actually understand what he's saying. But more than that, it's a picture of the kingdom. Here's, if you put all the parables together, here's what they're trying to do. Each parable is trying to fill in your etch-a-sketch or your painting of the kingdom of God just a little bit more. So this is going to cover one section of the kingdom of God. Here's what, it, here's what it looks like. And he's got to do it a lot because the kingdom of God is like what? God, the king of the universe, is now king to his people. What does that look like? That's a huge thing. We get to do premarital sometimes, and it's like trying to explain to someone, we're meeting with this one couple who will be married a couple months, what marriage is like. And for me, my marriage is awesome. It's like being married to your best friend. It's like eating cookies every night with the person you love most. It's like, and i got to paint all these pictures to try to make sense of this thing that is just amazing to me. Some of you guys are like, what marriage is that? Mine's like standing in front of a freight train. Everything that's big, <laughs> transcendent, <laughs> point being, when, God, when God's trying to, sorry, that's not my marriage. Some of you guys, we have a counselor on staff. But if it's extremely high and lofty and glorious, it's hard to describe. And if it's extremely painful and horrible and horrific, it's hard to describe. And God, through Jesus here, is explaining the kingdom of God just a little bit more. What about the kingdom of God is he getting at? This parable says it's the parable of the weeds. I'm going to call it the parable of the seasons. Jesus is going to describe to us what the seasons of the kingdom look like. 
There are three seasons, he's going to say. We're currently in one. We're heading to the next season. And there's a third season that lasts forever. We have three seasons, and Jesus is going to unpack it. Why does he need to unpack how the kingdom of God works? First of all, the disciples are listening, and the disciples think the kingdom of God goes like this. We once had King David as our king, and Israel was awesome. We started to see a thread of there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come back and sit on King David's throne and make this thing even better. Jesus is now that guy, and the disciples are starting to believe one by one, and they know that Jesus is the Messiah. So in their head, the kingdom of God is utopia, is Israel in charge, is a true legitimate kingdom where Israel is God's people here on earth and all evil is washed away. That's what the disciples are thinking whenever they hear kingdom of God. And Jesus is going to say the kingdom of God is like, and this parable is going to blow up that paradigm. So some of us religious people really want God to speed up this clock and take care of this world like he should. There's other people. As I was preparing this message, I was doing it at McDonald's on power. And it's just heavy. And it's intense. And I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around, okay, how do I say this? What are you trying to get after God? And there's this group of old guys, old retired guys, sitting in there drinking coffee, whining about their retirement income. They need this too. We get so short-sighted. The season that you are in is not just about how much you are making in your retirement. Jesus says there is a huge thing going on. That's the season we're in. Disciples, chill out. The season you want is not here yet. We are in this season. Old guys at McDonald's, listen. Your life is not about money. There is something big going on here. Pay attention. If you have ears, open them up and listen. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's going to have something to say to Christians and non-Christians. It's going to be, listen, here's how my kingdom works. So let's get into this passage. There are three seasons. The first one Matthew already read. Let's jump ahead to verse 36 there, would you? And now here's where Jesus says, let me explain this to you. Verse 36, the first season. He left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us this parable. He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. Pretty simple. Let me unpack. The kingdom of God is like a field. The field is the world. There is a guy who owns this field, and he sowed good seed. Those are the people who belong to Jesus. In the middle of the night, someone crept in, Satan, and sowed bad seed. And now you look out at your field, and you have wheat and you have weeds. You have wheat and you have tares or darnel or the stuff that farmers don't want. God sowed good seed, Christians. Satan sowed bad seed, non-Christians. It's not good people are the wheat and bad people are the weeds. It's Christian are the wheat, non-Christian are the weeds. That's it. So if you've never heard Christianity unpacked, that's it. There are two types of people. Wheat, weeds. So what does that mean? Non-Christian. If you're in the room and you know in your heart that you're not a Christian, this parable is saying you have been sowed by the evil one. 
The enemy who sowed them is the devil. This is your first time. We're glad you're here. <laughs> it's a great church. Welcoming to all, even sons and daughters of the evil one. I joke because this is a heavy topic and I need to joke a little to get through it. But that's legitimately what is going on in this world. It doesn't say there's wheat, there's petunias, there's cauliflower, there's ficus trees, there's citrus, and then there's weeds. It's not Muslims are petunias, and Mormons are carnations, and Christians are roses, and then evil Hitlers are the weeds. It's Christians, non-Christians, that's the world we live in. Period. My heart's just heavy. Just That's the reality we live in. That seems weird. There's like kind of good people and medium good people and semi-good people and on their way to being good people. One of the worst things we ever do, we always describe people, what's he like? Oh, he's a good dude. What does that mean? Good in what regard? Usually we just mean he doesn't really annoy us. That's our, the extent of our goodness. <laughs> Honestly. What's your neighbor like? He's good. Just means he's not annoying. Jesus says there are Christians and there are non-Christians, period. Non-Christian, that's your message. You are sowed of the devil. You are a weed. If you are a farmer, like myself, and you know a lot about wheat, just kidding, I looked this up, wheat <laughs> and tares look identical, especially early on. Not until they start to get the wheat and the legitimate fruit do you start to see, okay, there's something different there. And they also grow so closely together that if you try to pull up one of the weeds, you would probably pull up wheat because their roots are so intertwined. So he's saying Christian people and non-Christian people are always going to be living together. And that's the way the kingdom of God works. And not until the fruit starts to come will you even be able to think about making a decision on which is which. And here's what Jesus has to say to Christians. Jump back over to the passage Matthew read. I'm going to read there in verse 24. Here's Jesus' words to the disciples and therefore to us. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of God is compared to a man who sowed good seed. The men were sleeping. We know what happened. Evil ones came in. Jump down to verse 28. They said, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you see what he's saying? Let's go take care of these weeds. Keep reading. Verse 29. He, being Jesus, said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time I will tell the reapers to gather the weeds. He's telling the disciples, your kingdom of God, the way you envision it, does not exist. The kingdom of God is not King David 2.0, Israel in charge. The kingdom of God is Christian, non-Christian, so closely together until both are fully mature and then the end of time comes and then God chops them all down and then he does business. What does that mean to Christians? Who is, who is this servant that's saying, let me go handle the weeds, let me pull some weeds? You got two options. Either it's legitimate Christians saying, God, let us help you out. You got some weeds, let me pull them out. Or it's the angels. Either way, God is telling Christians, if that's what he's saying, don't go pulling weeds. 
It's not your job to judge. Christian, you have a, a ton of things to do on this earth. I'll tell you the one thing you're never supposed to be focused on, judging. Don't bother pulling out the weeds. What if it's the angels? Same thing. Angels have a far better perspective than me and than you. And God's telling angels with perfect vision down here on earth, no, not even you are supposed to go out and pull out the weeds. So whether it's angels or whether it's me, we're told to leave the weeds and let them grow to fruition. Let them get as tall as they're going to get. What does that mean practically? Billy Graham and Daniel Sterling are going to grow together until both are complete. Your sweet little teenage daughter and that not-so-sweet teenage girl who pays for abortions are going to grow together until both are complete. This gets a little hairy. Your homosexual neighbor that you just are appalled by his homosexuality are going to grow together, and you're not to pull him out or to judge him or to yank him out of this world and say, Thus saith the Lord. That should rub Christians wrong way a little bit. What about my kids? Am I not supposed to protect them? Of course you are. That's not what I'm saying. He's saying Christians and non-Christians grow together, and that's the way it's going to be. Period. That's all Jesus is trying to say. Now, what does that mean for us? Here's what I would say. Politically, our job is not to go out and rid the world of evil. But when we see evil, we should call evil, evil. There's two things I wrote down. Are you too busy pulling weeds? Are you, too, are you that guy that just watches news channels all day long, get all fired up, and then leave your house ready to rip out everyone who is evil in this world? Ah! Do you spend more time in front of Fox News than in, down on your knees in front of your Bible? My guess is a lot of us say yes. And my guess is you're not applying this correctly. Ouch. Or are you, this is big, trying to transplant wheat? I'll just put this over here in a little safer spot. God says wherever the wheat grows, there's going to be weeds. As a parent, that's freaky. We've got three boys. Boys are just... Dirty-minded little knuckleheads. <laughs> and then to think, I've got to send my sweet little boys out in the world with a bunch of other little dirty-minded knuckleheads and just let them grow up together? Well, that's a bad parent. You need, to, you need to take him out and put him in this little glass jar where only there's one wheat sprout coming up and he is completely <laughs> protected from all evil. Possibly. What does that mean? No Christian schools, no home, not at all. It just means your motivation, the way you think through, the way you think about parenting and raising your kids and living in an evil world needs to be shaped and formed by this passage as much as any of the other ones that call us to purity. Be in the world, not of the world. Be pure, I get that. But Jesus says we are going to be intertwined with weeds until the day we are dead. So we better figure out how we're going to live with him. Amen? One go-to story when it comes to staying pure in an evil world is the story of Daniel. Everybody knows Daniel? He absolutely refused to do what in the king's court? 
church people? Eat the food and drink the evil wine. I will not. And we teach it. And we go into our three-year-old class, our four-year-old class, say, be like Daniel. Say no to the world. Now get out there and say no to the world. Go. And I've always just read it that way. That's right. What do, I, what do I need to say no to? I need to say no to the world like Daniel. <sighs> and this guy preached it a couple weeks ago at this event I was at. And he said, what did Daniel say yes to before he ever said no? And you read the story of Daniel, and he is brought into this culture, and they change his name. And they educate him exactly like they want to educate him. So a lot of political people, a lot of conservative people are getting riled up about common core. Let me just paint a picture of what Daniel means for us. Common core is now like the national, mostly national education system. The federal government is telling our schools how our kids need to be educated. (sighs) Daniel says this. Here's what happens. Not only does common core come in and completely educate and indoctrinate my kids, Part of the education is changing their names. So sweet little Elijah, so full of life, walks into his kindergarten class. What's your name? Elijah Michael Watt? You shall be Lady Gaga. (laughs) What's your name? Roman Blaze. That's a weird name. What's Blaze? It's this famous theologian who wrote big things about God. I will call you Ron Jeremy, the king of the porn industry. Oof. Good, suck the life out of this room. And Jude, who's named after the brother of Jesus. And the book of Jude, who is all about God's kingdom coming back on earth. And I'm going to take your, Jude, I know your dad loves that name, but you shall be called Satan. That's what the book of Daniel says. And we get all hyped about what he's saying no to, but he says yes to all of that. Ouch. Ouch. I hope you feel that, Christians. I hope you walk out of here and wrestle with that. And I'm fired up because I have a lot of lost friends who a lot of Christian people are trying to keep the Christian kids and stuff who know how to talk about Jesus away from them. Daniel said no here. He said yes, 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 yes. That's the line. Where's your line? You got weeds all around you. Where's your line? I'm not going to answer. That's something we all need to wrestle with. But we wrestle based out of this text. Amen? Dale Thacker, who's our counseling guy, was kind of getting after it with a guy over homosexuality and just, how do we tackle this issue? And this guy's all about, you know, political. And all. I'm on the same page as all of you. But practically, down here on earth, when we're living amongst people who don't know Jesus yet, what should be our focus? And Dale said this to the guy. Perhaps if we were more interested in being Christ-like more than just being right, our witness would be more impactful in this dark world. You are living among weeds. There are weeds in this church right now. It's not our job to judge and to yank them out. Our job is to be the best dang wheat we can be. That's it. Amen? Let's keep getting heavier. How does Daniel, how do we have the patience to be able to say, yes, 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 no? Yes, yes, yes. How do we have the patience to live in this dark world that is just getting darker? Don't get me wrong. 
The world the teenagers grow up in is twisted and wicked. But how do we have the patience to not just go out gardening like madmen and women? Let's go to the next section. Here's the next season Jesus is going to remind us of. Verse 30. He says, Let both grow together until the the harvest. And at the harvest time I will tell the reapers to gather the weeds first and then the wheat. Jump down to verse 39. Here's where Jesus unpacks it. He's just said the the evil ones are sowed by the devil. In the middle of that passage, he says, The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Here's, I'm just going to read this because, so you know where redemption stands on this. Here's what redemption as a church believes. We believe in the personal, glorious, and bodily return of our Lord Jesus Christ with his holy angels when he will exercise his role as final judge and his kingdom will be consummated. The season we are in, stuff is growing, nothing's complete yet, but the harvest is coming and the reaper is coming. And he's chopping it all down, and he's going to start to inspect it and start to separate it. What's the picture we walk away with? Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. Revelation 20 says, I love Revelation. It's a weird thing to love, but. I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Judgment day is coming. Like I said, this is a heavy topic. Christians, should this make us fearful? It should focus us. That's it. I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I work with youth, I'm a Christian in my neighborhood. All that should be focused by the reality that one day I will be standing before God himself and he is going to lay it all out there. And he's going to judge us. Single file line, standing outside the courtroom, and we are going to be judged according to what we've done. That day is coming. It's the end of the age. It's where all evil will be removed. He says, verse here says, we will remove all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So the judgment day is when God, through Jesus, can finally say, let's get all these weeds out of here. And throws them away. I pulled this passage out on a call center girl the other day. I was calling about medical bills. It's been a weird week. McDonald's guys annoying me because they're talking about retirement, medical bills. And they're just not being clear with how I'm supposed to be paying bills. And I said, one day you are going to (laughs) die. And you are going to stand before God. If you have any ability to fix this wrong, you need to do it. (laughs) She said... 
Yeah, I think that's the end of our conversation. <laughs> but that's the point, is we want a God who is going to remove all evil, all systems of evil, all companies who propagate evil, all profit-based, no-love companies, all families where evil rules the day, all predators, all child molest, all evil in this world, God is going to take out so that the kingdom of God can finally be realized in its fullness. That day is coming. Soon. The guy who wrote the book of Revelation says, come, Lord Jesus. Come soon. That day is coming. Some of you might be non-Christians. And the thought of a God that you're going to have to stand before and give an account is just offensive. I knew Christianity is just like all the other religions. This crazy, arbitrary God up in heaven who's going to judge us in some crazy way. Why do we want judgment to be true? Tim Keller says this, If we do not believe that there is a God who will eventually put all things right, here's what your life will consist of. I will take up the sword and I will be sucked into the endless vortex of retaliation. Only if I'm sure that there's a God who will right all wrongs and settle all accounts perfectly will I have the power, and may I add, the patience to refrain. Christians are the only people in the world that can live lovingly and patiently because this is in the background of our mind. That one day the judge is coming down, the trumpets will blow, and Jesus will handle business. Amen? Amen. So we don't need to take up our swords and take up our gardening tools and start yanking out the weeds. The weeds will meet Jesus one day, and he will do business with them then. Judgment day is coming. We are in a season where it's all growing together. The reaping is coming, and we're all going to be sifted on that day. Ecclesiastes says, every secret thought will be brought to light. That is just mind-boggling. This is hard. Here's your option, non-Christian. If you still, yeah, that, oh, that sounds good to be loving and patient, but the idea of judgment just doesn't sit right with me. Here's your option. I, I was talking to a girl when I used to teach high school math about this, and I was kind of bringing up the harder things of Christianity, and she would just continue to reject them. I don't like, that's, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I said, here's what you're doing. You just met this boy who you think is just adorable and sweet and cute, and he's perfect. This is kind of what's going on with you and God. And now you're going on dates with him, and every time you talk, you're realizing, he just agrees with everything I say. Oh, I'm a Democrat. Oh, I'm a Democrat, too. I really like ska music. I really like ska music, too. And 50 dates into this thing, you realize that this boy doesn't have one thought that is opposing to yours. You have a little jellyfish of a man with no backbone sitting before you who's cute. How do you like that boy now? She said, that sounds horrible. I said, that's the God you are creating. Every time you don't like God, you're just tearing that out of his book. I don't like that. Judgment, restrictions on sex, before you end up with just this little worthless teenage boy who's cute but has absolutely nothing to give you in terms of power and righteousness and salvation. You have a little, little step for God. 
So non-Christian, I know that sounds harsh, but that's the decision you have to make. Because this book is going to rub you wrong. It rubs me wrong. And every time I get to that, I've got to decide. Am I going to let God be God? Or am I going to tear this out? I don't like that. Before you know it, you will have one page left. And you will be, the God will be a mockery of the God of the Bible. That's your decision. Judgment day, heaven, hell, all that plays into this. You having fun? I love you guys, and I love non-Christians, and I love non-Christians who are brave enough to come to church and check this thing out. But Jesus was rough, and he spoke in such a way that just people cringed because what he said was not people-pleasing garbage. It was truth coming down from heaven, and it's going to rub us the wrong way sometimes, which leads us into our last season. The eternal season. Go to verse 42. So we just said he would gather out all his kingdom, all the causes of sin, all lawbreakers, all medical companies who don't care about me and just want to make money. All those are going to be pulled out. And throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Both last forever. All causes of sin, all lawbreakers, which is all of us, will be gathered out, apart from salvation from Jesus, and thrown into the fiery furnace. The place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation says the place where they would be tormented day and night. Forever. Got this black line here. Imagine if this thing went forever. Forever. It says Jesus has no beginning, has no end. Jesus has existed for all of eternity, for all of time. I started on this little crack. And my life ends about a centimeter next to that. And then my eternity lasts forever. Forever. It's never ending. And dudes at McDonald's, people in this church, spend their entire lives thinking about the crack, never once contemplating this. Eternity will be here soon. And we are spending it somewhere. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for some. And there will be righteousness where we will shine like our Father in heaven for all of eternity. Two options. There's three seasons, two options in every one. There's wheat and there's weeds. On judgment day, there's depart from me. Or welcome to my kingdom. In eternity, there's heaven or there's hell. That's it. I've been weighted down all week by this because this is true. This is real. So those weeds that annoy you that you want to yank out are headed somewhere. Your neighbors are headed somewhere. Your children are headed somewhere. Everyone in this room is headed somewhere. And the difference is couldn't, you, couldn't, you couldn't spend... A lifetime describing the differences. People like to joke about hell, and I've got a lot of buddies who, yeah, I'll just 
I'll drink light beer instead of the good stuff. Satan has never, ever once produced one single pleasure. He has only produced pain. He has taken God's pleasurable things and tried to rewrite them and twist them a little so that you think they're from him. So God gives us sex, and Satan says, let me show you a better way to do it. That's from God. God gives us beer. And Satan twists it and says, why don't you drink just a little more? It's more enjoyable that way. Every good thing is from God. Here's hell. Imagine everything you enjoy, everything you enjoy, and it's gone. And you're in the dark, and you're alone, and God's separate from you forever. And on top of that, there's pain and anguish, never ending. Whew. Rough. Before I came up the first service, Matthew said, are you going to give them the gospel? Or are you just going to weigh them down? Yeah, I'll figure it out on the fly. Here's the gospel. Somewhere in this section here, in Philippians, it says, every knee is going to bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So every weed in our midst, every evil person, every child molester, every Daniel Sterling who is a staunch racist, every girl sitting right now in some abortion clinic, every self-righteous one in this room who has no desire for Jesus but just wants outward appearance and appreciation for being religious, will bow to Jesus. I did this with students when I said, everybody get down. And I made them do this because this is really happening. This day is coming. And here's the reality. Some of us are going to be crying tears of joy because we can't wait to stand up to see him. And the weeds, if they have yet to change, they've yet to be re-sown by Jesus, their jaw's going to start to clench, and the gnashing of teeth will begin. That's how this world is going to work. There are three seasons. It's not pre-work years, work years, retirement, and then die. It's there's a sowing going on. There's wheat and there's weeds. And then one day the angels are going to come down with Jesus and judge between the two, and then he's going to separate them forever. And somewhere in that mix, everyone will bow, regardless of what they think of Jesus now, and say, he's the Lord. Here's what that passage doesn't say, that they'll all call him Savior. Here's what's offensive about the gospel. I hope I've offended some of you today because it makes you think. And I hope to offend some more right now. Here's the gospel. Think of the most evil, vile person you can think of whether it's people performing abortions, Daniel Sterling, who is just a, a horrible racist man, your neighbor who doesn't pull his weeds, whatever it is that's just, ah, get away from me. The gospel says all they have to do is believe in Jesus and they get to spend eternity next to you. Next to Jesus. Daniel Sterling still has hope. He is a man running an NBA franchise, and he is a racist. And if given the chance to speak to him, which will never happen, I would tell him this. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's not let me pull you out because you're a weed. 
that you've got one chance in this life, one hope, one Savior, one chance at rescue. That's it. It's Jesus. Do you believe? And the Bible says, if you believe, you're not a weed anymore. That is crazy. The most vile weeds you can think of. Belief. And they're with heaven. They're in heaven forever with Jesus. If that does not light your fire, Luke Simmons says, that's right. That is the gospel. It's for the most righteous, outward focused, religious hypocrite in the world. And it's for the most evil, disgusting weed you can imagine. And Jesus says, will you believe in me? If so, it's done. You're going to spend eternity with me. And this message gets a lot lighter. Amen? Let's pray. Father, so much of your uh, truth you brought to us just rubs us the wrong way. Not only rubs us the wrong way, just... It makes us squirm a little as we think through implications. And God, this parable is at the top of that list that should stop us and make us think. And you end it with, he who has ears, let him hear. So I pray for those whose ears have been opened, that this would focus them just a little bit. It would recalibrate their lives on the reality that you are in charge, you're coming back, and eternity is waiting. For the people in the room that don't know this truth, I pray that they would take the, take the step of faith. Say, Jesus, I've ignored you my entire life. I've used you. I've rebelled against you. I've mocked you. Whatever it may be. But in this moment, I trust you. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. God, thank you for the simple truth of your love and the backdrop of eternity. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Jesus, uh, Jesus had a way of, of drawing a really clear...